It is good to be back with you again. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, is he ever going to leave? But uh, I, I am, I am. Brother Tom will be back next week and, and uh, y'all can get back to business as usual. I appreciate you putting up with me. Uh, I am always blessed to be here. I uh, was thinking earlier, I went back and said hey to Jim. And uh, I've known Jim for a few years now, not that many years, but a few. And I would not have guessed 89, I knew he was a little older, but just a couple years ago I had to run him off of a roof over at Camp Salem. I hope, Jim, that I have what you have when I'm where you're at. It's, it's amazing to me how some people have that uh, ability to just keep going like they do and... and uh, Jim has always been a hard worker and a hard worker for God, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, all that he's done at Camp Salem and, and uh, other, other things as well, but that's where I've really come in contact with him the most. He has a heart for kids, a heart for youth, and a heart for Camp Salem and it to be used. So I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for that resource God has given us. Uh, that's just one thing that our association does and uh, I wanted to give Jim a, a plug there as well for all the work that he's done over the years. Can we just give him a real clap offering real quick? Thank you, Jim. And happy birthday. I hope it's a great one. Um, we do have a, an, exec, an executive board meeting today for our association. Uh, me being the associational mission strategist, it would probably be bad if I didn't at least mention that. The executive board meeting for you guys, if I could explain, it would be more like a business meeting. We try to keep our business meetings on a positive side. We have reports from our teams of things that's going on and things that's coming up. One of the biggest things that will be coming up and we'll be talking about today is the gospel to every home. I know you guys are participating in that and excited about what's going on. And we're going to do that as an association. Uh, we're going to do that as a Southern Kentucky Baptist and, and we're going to reach every home in our state. That's what our goal is. We're going to reach every home in our community with the gospel of Christ. I didn't say everybody would become Christians. That's not our job. Our job is to share. What they do with the knowledge that they have is up to them. And that's, that's the way Christ's ministry was on earth also. I don't know if you realize that or not. But, but he would mention what's going on and he would present that often he was rejected, especially by, by leaders in the church in, in different places. But it's our job to take the gospel to every home, and we're planning on doing that. Uh, if you've got questions about that, feel free to see me after church. Feel free to come to our executive meeting. We have a training coming up the first Tuesday. Don't quote me on that one. The first Tuesday of next month, and uh, we'll, we'll go forward with that. I am speaking today on its always darkest just before the dawn it's always darkest just before the dawn who who thinks they know what passage of the bible that comes out of be careful because it's not in the bible it's actually not a passage out of the bible it's actually an english proverb and i like those old english proverbs those funny sayings those uh quirky sayings 
and my wife's not here. She's listening on, on Facebook, so I can say this. She'll, y'all pray for me when I go home, okay? But uh, she is so good at these English proverbs, but she says them backwards, and it just cracks me up, and, and me and my boys uh, really get a, a kick out of them. She'll say things like, uh, don't count your chickens. It's worth two in the bush. Uh, just, just, and we're like, what did you say, Mom? Uh, but, but anyway, she means well, and she does a good job, and, and we get a kick out of it, and she does too after it's done. But uh, I think you probably know several of these proverbs. I looked up a few, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the first part, and if you know the second part, you just chime in and say the second part, okay? So we'll start with some easy ones. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. See, y'all know how to do this. Um, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. See, I didn't even give you hardly anything on that one, and you got it. Uh, the early bird gets the worm. Birds of a feather, absence makes. We like to say that when our loved ones leave, don't we? Actions speak. Keep your friends close. All of these are proverbs, English proverbs. Practice makes two wrongs. Don't make a right. The squeaky wheel. Y'all know all this stuff. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. When the going gets tough, tough get going. The pen is mightier than the sword. It's always darkest before the dawn. Now, those aren't necessarily scripture, but I think we can find some truths in a lot of those, and we're going to find some truths today, and it's always darkest just before the dawn. Well, what does it mean when it's always darkest just before the dawn? You see, dawn happens when that very first little glimmer, that very first ray of sunlight peeks over the horizon. What that means is you've been in a state of darkness for a while. Matter of fact, the longest state of darkness of the night comes at dawn. That's when you've been in darkness the longest. So when that first glimmer of light peaks the horizon, it starts to get lighter and lighter and lighter. And that's what it means. It's, it's darkest just before the dawn. Just before dawn, there is no light. It's dark. We're not necessarily going to speak about the dawn in a physical sense, but I think you can get the picture, and even what the English Proverbs is stating is when you're at your lowest, when you think all hope is gone, that's when it's darkest. But that it's darkest just before help comes. And God is great at coming at just the right time. I don't know if you know that or not, but He is. I'm actually wanting you to get three things today out of this message. I want you to take three things to heart. Three things I want you to take home with you. When you leave here today, I want you to know better than you did come in when you came in. These three things. Number one is God has a plan for your life. You may not know what it is. You may know not, not know how it's unfolding. But God has a plan for your life. Number two, God expects us to do what we can, and then to trust Him for the rest. God expects us to do what we can, and then to trust Him for the rest. Number three, 
is we don't know everything, but God does. We don't know everything, but God does. We're actually going to look at three different passages of Scripture. We're going to jump off, if you will, with Esther in chapter 9. Esther chapter 9, I'm just going to read four verses here of this Esther chapter 9. Then I'm going to give you a little background before we go on. Most of you probably know the story, but we're going to plow through a little bit of that anyway. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we start. Father, you're an amazing God, and I pray, God, that you would uh, continue to bless me as I, I speak your word this morning. I pray that I would speak the words that you would have me to, and Father, that you would, would cause it to do what you need it to do in the hearts of the people that are here. Father, I pray especially for Brother Tom this morning. As he's away, I know his heart is here with us this morning uh, because he loves these people. Father, I pray that you'd help me as I stand in the gap for him to share your word. In your name we pray, amen. Esther chapter 9, we'll start at verse 1. It says, now in the twelfth month, that's the month of Adar, on the twelfth, or on the thirteenth day, when the king's command and edict were to be put into effect, on that day when the enemy of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, over them it turned out to be to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout the province of uh, King Ashura uh, to attack those who sought to harm them, and no one could stand against them because the dread had fallen on all the peoples, even all the officials of the provinces, the satraps and the governors, and those who were doing the king's business were surrounding the Jews because of the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and the news about him had spread throughout the province. For the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Now most of you know the story of Esther. Mordecai was not always great in the king's presence. But he became great in the king's presence. The story begins with the king having a party, if you remember. Had all of his friends around, and, and they were talking, and all of a sudden he thought, I'm going to have my wife come in so these guys can check her out. So he sent for his wife, and his wife refused to listen to him. Husbands, have you ever had your wife refuse to listen to you? I can relate to the king. However, um, Refusing me is not quite the same as refusing the king. If you refuse the king, you were in big trouble. If you, if you refuse me, if Tammy tells me, no, I just got to suck it up. You know how that goes, right? But uh, she refused the king, and because of that, they had to have a beauty contest to find out who the next queen was going to be. So during that beauty contest, there was a lady named Esther who found favor in God's sight, and she became the next queen, Mordecai was her, I've always thought uncle, but it's really not uncle. Uh, Mordecai, I think it was a cousin more than anything else, but Mordecai was uh, overseer over her. She was younger, she didn't have a, a mother and father, and Mordecai was the one that took care of her. So when she became king, she went to uh, live at the castle, of course, and Mordecai would go and Check on her basically daily, the Bible says. He loved her that much that he wanted to make sure that she was okay. So he would go and check on her. 
And as he was going and checking on her one day, he overheard a plot from some of the officials to kill the king. So Mordecai said, uh, Esther, you've got, to, you've got to warn the king. You've got to let, let them know what's going on. So she did that, and, and the plot was foiled, and, and Mordecai saved the king. So God used him in that instance. After this, there was a man named Haman that was uh, doing well in the kingdom and going about the king's business. He was promoted and actually second in command to the king. Matter of fact, he had so much power that as he was going around in the city, as he would come in and out of the gates, the people would stop and they would bow and pay homage to him because he, he was thought of out of respect. They would do that, um, some out of even worship. And he would come in and out of the gates and he would see everybody bow and he just got so proud and, and loved it so much. But there was one man who did not bow. His name was Mordecai. Every day, Mordecai would go to the temple. Haman would go out, all these people would be bound, and he'd be basking in all the glory, and his pride was really pumped up. And then he'd look over and see this grinning face standing there, the only one standing, Mordecai. It just made him so mad. It didn't matter that everybody else was bowing. He was ate up with anger at Mordecai. And he would come and go every day, and that would happen. Finally, it made him so mad that he developed a plan to get Mordecai. I'm going to be able to get him once and for all, and people will know that you should not mess with me. That was Haman's thought. I'm going to do away with him. So his plot was planned, and he went to the king, and he said, King, there's a group of people that don't like to follow your laws. They're troublemakers. There are problems for the kingdom. We've got to do something about them. And king, I am such a faithful servant of yours. I'll give 10,000 talents of gold myself and put it into the treasury to help offset the cost of this. So the king said, hey, that sounds good to me. You're taking care of business. You're second in command. Here's my ring. And the ring was a signet of the Medes and the Persians. I don't know how familiar you are with those those laws, but if, if you sign something into law with the signet ring, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, even the king could not overturn that law after it was made a law. So, very important thing. So, they signed that law, and basically what the law did was set up a time where if you were a Jew and someone had a problem with you, they could kill you. They could do away with you. And that was Haman's plan for Mordecai. Well, Mordecai got word of this and went to Esther and he said, he was devastated. He said, Esther, you've got to go to the king. But if Esther went to the king and the king did not want Esther to go to the king at that time, it would cost her her life. Weren't those the good old days, guys? I'm just seeing if you're with me. That's all I was doing, just making sure you're with me. Just kidding. But, but what would happen is she would come before the king, and if the king held out his scepter, she was able to approach the king. If he didn't hold out his scepter, they took her away and they, they killed her because it, it, that's, that's how much power the king had. So she asked everybody to fast and pray, and, and she was making a plan, hoping to be able to go and talk to the king 
And while all this was going on, Mordecai was going on with his plan. He started building the gallows, bigger gallows than you've ever seen. Uh, build them tall, 30 feet tall, whatever. You don't need them that tall or whatever to, to hang somebody. But he wanted to put on a show and make sure everybody knew these gallows, Mordecai, hadn't been bowing to me. He's going to pay. You don't mess with me. So he figured one day that I'll go and I'll see the king. I'll do that tomorrow. We'll get this taken care of. We'll go ahead and finish that fellow off and it'll be done with. Well, it just so happened that that night the king didn't sleep very well. He had trouble, so he got up and read something. I don't know why you would go back and read laws and all that kind of stuff and history of things that had happened, but that's what he was going through. And in his reading, he had noticed that years before, Mordecai had warned the king of a plot to kill him. And nothing had been done for him. So the king thought to himself, we're going to have to do something there. So the next day, Haman came in with his plan and approached the king. And the and, uh, king said, Haman, before you start, I've got a question for you. He said, what would you do if you were king to the guy that made you the happiest? The guy that helped you the most, the number one guy in your kingdom. What, what would you do to show that you appreciate him. Haman, of course, puffed up. Well, he's got to be talking about me. No doubt he's talking about me. He said, well, king, I would do this. He said, I would bring in the king's robe and bring in the king's crown and, and put him on the king's horse and, and have somebody to, to walk around the city saying, hey, this is, this is what happens to the guy that the king delights in. The king said, that's great. Go do that for Mordecai. Could you imagine Haman's face? Are you kidding me? I just built gallows for this clown. So he was heart sunk. Well, Esther's plan asked for Haman and the king to come to a banquet. And you, you realize they came a few days if you're familiar with the story, but long story short, Esther opened up to the king and she said, there's a person in our kingdom that's trying to kill me and all of our people. And she revealed the plot with Haman. King got so upset he left the room. And when he came back, Haman was pleading with Esther. And the king said, you're trying to take advantage of my queen? I saw some new gallows down the road. Guys, take Haman and hang him on the gallows. And he was hanging on his own gallows. And that's where we pick up in chapter 9. There's an edict that went out, a decree that could not be overturned. Everything that was done could still go on. But the fame of Mordecai from when he was in that darkest hour, not knowing when things would happen, he didn't know how it would turn out. He wasn't sure. He knew his goose was cooked. And not only that, probably most of the people that he loved and knew, his family. It was a dark, dark hour. That first little ray of sunlight might have happened when Haman came and said, 
Okay, old boy, here's the robe, here's the crown, jump on the horse, we got to go for a ride. But that wasn't it because you couldn't reverse it. But you see, the king put in some other laws where the Jews could defend themselves. And Mordecai, Mordecai's power grew, and even the rulers and people were on their side. And God delivered them in a dark hour. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not saying that any time you're going through trouble, God's going to come in and take it away from you. That's not what I'm saying. I will tell you that when you're going through trouble, God will be there with you in the middle of it. God will walk with you hand in hand through that trouble. Bad things happen to good people. Do you realize that? There are issues and problems that go on in your life. That's part of life, and that's not this message. It's a different message. But we could talk about why bad things happen to good people. That's not this message. What I'm telling you is bad things do happen. You know that, and when you're in your darkest hour, realize as you're praying, as you're seeking God's face, that God has a plan for you. Mordecai didn't have a clue of what was going to happen with him. Esther didn't know if the king would even allow her to speak to him or not. But because of the circumstances that played out, they were following through and God had a plan for their life. So when you're in that dark spot, and when you don't see any light and it's been darkest just before the dawn, Realize, you're not abandoned. God is still with you, and God still has a plan for your life. I didn't say it would be easy. I didn't say it would be trouble-free. I didn't say you wouldn't have heartache and problems. I said God would be there with you all the way through, and he's got that plan for your life. You see, God has a plan for our life. That's number one. I want you to know that. Number two is God expects us to do what we can and trust him to do the rest. God expects us to do what we can and trust him for the rest. I'm going to read a passage out of Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Listen carefully to what happens here. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church to do them harm. And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. And he saw that it pleased the Jews and proceeded to arrest Peter as well. And when he <clears throat> now these were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, turning him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God in, uh, intensely by the church. Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the guards in the front of him, of the door, were watching over the prison. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but that's probably a pretty dark time right there for, for him. So Peter was, was sleeping, 
He was chained to two guards. He had guards in front of him watching. There was prison doors. Um, the next day, they were planning to, to, to take him out and, and murder him for the people. That's, that's a dark time in Peter's life. Matter of fact, he had been in darkness for a little while because he had been locked up for a little while. But the dawn was about to break. Listen to the rest of the story. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter, and light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to Peter, Put on your belt and strap on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow him, yet he did not know uh, what was being done by the angel. <clears throat> he did not know if what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And then when he had passed through the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And he realized this, and he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many of, uh, were gathered together and were praying. Now get this, they were praying, and probably praying intensely according to earlier in the scripture, and praying for a guy named Peter. So he goes, verse 13, And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. She got so excited. There's Peter. Did they believe? No, they didn't. They said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they said it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and they had opened the door. They saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brothers. Then he left and went to another place. You see, Peter was in a dark, dark spot. He was in a cell. And sometimes we pray. This is a side note, but let me go ahead and get it out of the way. You know, sometimes we pray for things and we don't even expect it. You know, they were, they were there, oh, God, please save Peter. Help Peter, God, he's, he's, he's in jail. I pray that you would rescue him from jail. Sitting there, probably had a prayer vigil going on the way I see it. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Somebody goes to the door, they get so excited. Oh, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. What we're praying for is true. It's coming true. What we're praying for, God's answering. Uh, then, then what do the Christians say? You're out of your mind. God ain't going to answer prayer like that got to be his angel they probably already killed the boy sometimes we don't have faith but sometimes god uses those darker hours to build our faith it's in those times that we often draw closer to god when we have to rely on him point number two i said god expects us to do what we can if you'll notice, when the angel came in, the chains fell off. There's no way Peter could have removed the chains. God took care of that. But the angel looked at him and he said, 
get up, put on your shoes, get your belt, and follow me. Peter could do that even in his darkest hour. Sometimes when we're in our darkest hour, we want to sit back and not do anything. Sometimes it's so gloom and doom, and, and you're so heavy-hearted that you don't feel like doing anything. When you're at that point, that's when you've got to realize God still has a plan for you. God still loves you. God knows more than we know. And you've also got to realize that God still, even in those hard times, expects you to do what you can. And then to trust him to do the rest. Just like with Peter. Angel could have come in and all of a sudden, boom, we're outside the gate. We're in this little prayer. They could have showed up in the middle of that prayer circle. That would have knocked their socks off, wouldn't it? But that wasn't what he did. He said, Peter, I'm going to take care of what you can't handle, what you can't do. And you take care of the rest. Get your belt on, strap on your sandals, follow me, I'm getting you out of here. Peter couldn't get by the guards on his own. God took care of that. When they went out where Peter was safe, the angel left. Peter's like, wow, what just happened? The dawn happened. If you're in your darkest hour, if it's been dark for a long time, realize it's darkest just before the dawn. God has a plan for you. But even in that darkness, you need to do everything you can Maybe you've lost a job and you're not sure what to do. Work to find another one. Maybe, maybe something has happened with your home. Do what you can to fix it. Maybe you've got a relationship that is, is hurting. Do what you can and pray to God and trust Him for what you can't even in your darkest hour. You see, truth is, one thing we can do is put on the armor of God. You can do that now, even in your darkest hour, because Satan is going to come and attack. You need to make sure that you've got the belt of truth around your waist. You need to make sure that you've got the breastplate of righteousness on. That's things that you can be working on. You need to make sure that your feet are shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. You need to make sure you've got the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then the Bible says when you've done all you can do to stand and you think you can't do it anymore, stand. Let's try another old wise English Proverbs. When you're at the end of your rope, what do you do? Say it, you can say it. Tie a knot and hang on. Right? When you're at the end of your rope, guys, and you think you can't go any further, tie a knot, do all you can. Tie a knot and hang on. And wait for the dawn. Wait for God to do his part. You see, Peter didn't waste time complaining. When that angel showed up, he could have said, Ah! I've been here for days. Where you been, man? He didn't do that. He didn't 
waste time giving excuses? Are you crazy? Get up, put my shoes on, put my belt on, follow you. Do you not realize there's a gate out here? Even if these guys in here are sleeping, there's more on the outside. It's so hard, can't do it, so I'm just not going to do anything. Try, God expects you to do what you can. Peter did. Number three, we don't know everything, but God does. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't know if you like me, I know the difference between Elijah and Elisha. I know Elijah was first, I know Elisha got the second blessing, I know all that kind of stuff. But anytime I'm looking at some of the miracles, I'm like, okay, was that Elijah or was that Elisha? And, and I kind of get those confused. So when I was first doing this, I was thinking it was Elijah in this story, but it's not. It's Elisha. So if I mess up and say Elijah, realize it's just because I'm not very bright, okay? But uh, reading through uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, it says, Now the king of Aram was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, In such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Be careful that you do not pass this place, because the Armenians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent scouts to the place about which the man of God had told him, and he warned them, uh, warned him so that he was on his guard there more than once or twice. In other words, this was happening over and over again. Uh, the king was saying, we're going to go and attack Israel, but the man of God had it revealed to him what was happening, and he would tell the king. So this was happening over and over again. So, verse 11. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this matter, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the traitor in our midst? Who's going and telling him everything? What's going on here? And one of the servants said, No, my lord, the king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. Some way he knows, king, what's going on. So he said, <coughs> Go and see where he is that I may send men and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a substantial army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Elisha's in trouble. There's a whole army set against him. Now the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, and behold, the army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And the servants said to him, This is hopeless my master, what will we do? We're in trouble. That's what his servant was saying. It's never been this bad before. I don't understand what's going on. And he said, Elisha, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are greater than those who are with him. Can you imagine that servant? Are you out of your mind? I just saw the army. I know what's going on. It looks bad out there. You can't tell me differently. I know what's going on. Verse 17, Then Elijah, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, 
And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll find out that they were rescued. You see, we're often like the servant of Elisha. We're in our darkest hour. We may even know that God has a plan for us. We may have even done everything we can do. We might be trusting God for the rest. But sometimes we get in our brain that we know what's going on when we really don't. See, my Bible tells me that God's ways are far above my ways. And that I can't understand everything that God does. We serve an all-knowing, all-powerful God who sets things in motion. And there's been some things happening in my life and with my family and I'm sure there's been some things happening in your life and with your family, you would think this should not happen. But a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful has allowed that to happen. And he knows more than I do. So I have to trust him even in that. You see, I don't know everything. Elisha's servant didn't know everything. And even in your darkest hour, when you're doing all you can, when you're trusting God, and you're still not sure, you've got to realize, I don't have all the information I need, but God does. And we've got to trust Him anyway. Sometimes that helps us get through till the dawn. Now again, I'm not preaching you a message that's saying, you're not going to have hard times. I'm not preaching a message telling you that everything is always going to come out rosy the way you see it. I am telling you that God's got a plan for you. I am telling you that God wants you to do what you can, and he'll take care of the rest. I am telling you that you may not know everything, but God does. I am telling you not to give up hope because God has a plan for you. I am telling you not to be afraid to take action and to do what you can to make things better. And I am telling you it's okay if you just stop and tell God, I don't understand. Even on the cross, in his darkest hour, you know what Jesus said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you're in despair, if you're in a problem, if you're in a time that doesn't seem right, can I try to encourage you by saying it's darkest just before the storm, but just before the dawn? Can I encourage you by saying to, to trust God because he has a plan for your life, to do what you can, let God take care of the rest, and realize that you don't know everything? Will you pray with me? Father, you're an awesome God. And we have hard times. We have troubles. And you know about them, but we come to you anyway and we pray. Pray that you would give us peace in our hard times. I pray that you would help us through difficult times, even with the time like we're in right now with COVID and everything else that's going on. God, I don't understand. I don't know but I trust you. I pray that you would help us all to do that. In your name we pray.
You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.